Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby coming to you from the Digital Shelf Institute's Boston home office. Uh, Rob's back in the Berkshires. Hello. You're back, you're back in, in the Northeast. I am back in the Northeast. And uh, fortunately, I think I brought the weather with me. It's beautiful today. It's like 60 it degrees. Yeah. We have the windows open. It doesn't feel like it's going to be winter for all time. Uh, I, I think there's hope. I'm, I'm sensing hope in the air. And in other places. It, yeah. yeah. So uh, it Rob, like mud. <laughs> exactly. Great things grow from mud. So I am up for it. <laughs> So, uh, Rob, we brought a repeat guest into our conversation today. We have Melissa Burdick, um, who I'm sure everyone listening knows is the co-founder and president of advertising platform provider PackView and overall e-commerce and Amazon whisperer. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be so, back here again. I know. I think you might be our first repeat visitor. All right. Wow. I'll take it. I know. Part. First for everything, right? Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're grateful. So, and we're having you back one because uh, back actually, it turned out it was in November, I think we had you on to talk about Amazon earnings and and we wanted to have that conversation again because uh, I heard that an executive left. So you might have to tell us a little bit about that. I've forgotten what his name is. Um, there's ad platform results, there's a lot going on. So. We were, I was hoping we could get takeaways from all the signals that you saw coming out of the, the earnings and, and what brands might think about in terms of their upcoming Amazon focus and investments and any trends you, you know, you've got on your brain for 2021. So let's, let's just bounce around through some of these. What do you say? That sounds great. Um, let's start yeah. with that, that um, the massive exodus of Jeff's. It, it, it turns out there wasn't just one Jeff that left, there were three of them. So I'd love your, your thought on a new CEO. What do you think the impact of the exits are and, and, uh, and, and of the new CEO's sort of point of view on things? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of funny because I, uh, I usually go on Bloomberg TV right after earnings results. And um, it's like the earnings result hit for Amazon. And then like 10 minutes later, I, they usually have me on this show and earnings result hit. And it was all about Jeff Bezos stepping down, not what, you know, usually it's about the analysis and, you know, ad business and all these kind of interesting things. Well, um, all they wanted to talk about for like five minutes was uh, Annie Jassy and Jeff Bezos leaving. And the clickbait title after that interview that I had was, Amazon vet feels sorry for new CEO. You can't trust that, the press. Oh my was, God. That was the clickbait title. And um, what I said was, and I think it's true, is that um, Andy Jassy's got a really tough and challenging road ahead. Um, I think this year, like there's just so much um, that he's going to have to tackle. Uh, which is, you know, comping, co you know, this COVID year of acceleration, um, all the legal stuff that's happening with Congress. Um, there is this new article that Jason Del Rey wrote about racial, you know, very controversial article that he wrote. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition and pressure around the retail media business. 
uh, you know, a Amazon's profit is generated a lot of it through AWS and advertising and other retailers are not going to be able to, you know, do AWS, but they can definitely do advertising. So there's just there's just a lot of um, a lot of things coming up that I think that are going to be very uh, interesting and challenging year ahead. Um, but, you know, Andy Jassy is a veteran himself, having been at Amazon for so long and really living the leadership principles. Uh, so I think he's a great, you know, person to step in. Jeff Wilkie kind of signaled that he wasn't the guy when he said that he was leaving. Um, and then he stayed on until I think after Q4. And then Blackburn had been on a leave of absence. He also left. He was my, um, he was my leadership when I was, he was over the ads business when I was at Amazon and really a, just a great leader. Um, so there's, you know, three holes that are being, you know, left. And so Andy Jassy has his opportunity to kind of fill that S team uh, with some folks. So it'd be interesting to see who he picks for that. Yeah, I, if I had, didn't realize how much of their senior leadership was named Jeff until this <laughs> yeah, thing went down. It is a little creepy, to be honest we, with you. Yeah, it's a talk about a lack of diversity, right? Like yeah, not only yeah. same race, but it's the same name. We hired, we hired um, the second time that we hired a Rob, the way that they distinguished between me and the other Rob was they nicknamed the other guy Handsome Rob to make sure <laughs> that everyone knew which of us was which. I, yeah. I was going to say the audience is very lucky. This is an audio platform. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's so funny that the Jeff exodus, I will say I've seen, I've seen Andy Jassy speak a few times and uh, read some of the things that he's published in writing and, and no, no folks that know him. I mean, it strikes me as that guy is a rare talent. I mean, if anyone is going to step into that seat with all the complexity that you're talking about going forward, I mean, he's, he just seems like he'd be an exceptional choice. Yeah. I mean, they, and definitely, I think that there, there was um, the, the leadership principles at Amazon, they're solid. They, they really are. Um, there was a clubhouse. Uh, I know we were all kind of clubhouse fans here, but there's this clubhouse where they had Maria Renz and a bunch of former Amazon executives talking about um, post Amazon, how they still use the leadership principles. And that's true. And, and, you know, Andy Jassy has been, you know, there from the beginning too. So I, I think that they definitely are in good shape. And then also having been over AWS, which is one of the most profitable, you know, kind of services, he definitely understands how to drive profit. So, um, but I definitely think with him in charge, you know, there's been a lot of co uh, conversations around breaking up Amazon, breaking out AWS. I, I don't think he wants to do that. So it'll be interesting to see, um, what he does. Yeah. The, you know, the, it's interesting that one of the, one of the big pressures that he has to deal with, and this is pretty typical with tech founders, right? It's um, you look at Bill Gates, uh, my favorite tech founder, and he basically stepped down in Microsoft after all the, the um, uh, antitrust stuff went on. And he's just, I don't want to deal with this. I, I signed up here to build a company, not to, you know, be hounded by the government. And mm -hmm. with Google, same sort of thing that Google founders were just, as soon as Google starts, coming up with antitrust and lawsuits and they're like, you know what, whatever, we don't need to deal with this. And Jeff Bezos, the same thing, just steps aside, doesn't, doesn't want to deal with this. Um, and you get somebody else who's an operator that comes up and handles it. It's, it's hard for me to see though, what the threat is to Amazon from a government perspective, big picture, other than just an annoyance. Cause it, it's like, we, let's dive into the earning results a little bit. You look at the earning results and then you look at the competitive landscape and Amazon, Amazon had a killer COVID, 
but they didn't have the best COVID of anybody in the space. Mm -hmm. And the competition looks like it's going to get a lot fiercer for them. And there's nothing they can do about it. They don't have an exalted position in the marketplace that makes them impossible to compete with on some level. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, their moat is great execution as opposed to something that's like, you know, like Google's kind of a, a monopoly on some level. And so um, let, let, let's dive into it. Let's, let's start. Let's start from the uh, from the beginning here. What's uh, from a, from a performance perspective, what jumped out at you as the, the most impressive um, in the latest earnings? Um, I mean, selfishly, since we're an ad business, um, that's really what, you know, I, every time I look at what's that other bucket and which is advertising and their advertising business grew like 64% or something. It was the highest growth quarter um, of the whole year. And so the advertising business just continues to accelerate. Um, and so that, that kind of was really interesting to me uh, just because we saw that as well. They pulled prime day from July into October to pull demand forward um, into the quarter so that they knew, you know, they knew that COVID was going to provide some of these issues around the height of the holiday season. And so in order for them to not kind of concentrate all of those deals and kind of outbound shipments going out, they pulled it into October that also pulled advertising dollars um, earlier into the quarter as well. And so we saw, you know, you know, more advertising spend in October. Usually it's November, December that you see that. So it started earlier and kind of maintained throughout the quarter. And then as we head into January, we kind of, we see a lot of seasonality and it drop um, typically, but we're not seeing that and as much as we thought we would. So advertising still continues to be strong. Um, and so I thought that was, that was pretty interesting in terms of the results. Uh, they had a killer quarter. Um, you know, lots of sales, the, the stuff that I thought was, you know, I think they're going to have to look at with a lens is, is their deals weren't as exciting, uh, this year. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of the same deals every year that we keep seeing. We also had a lot of their own private label in electronics, uh, deals. So a lot of it was just, you know, Alexa stuff that they had. Um, so they didn't have as many, you know, different manufacturers coming in with different deals. Do you think part of that, Melissa, was just because of the, you know, the Amazon had to turn a lot of their attention to just getting the staples out the door and, mm -hmm. and, and just everything going on with COVID that they just didn't have the same kind of, both suppliers didn't, manufacturers didn't have really the same kind of notice and, and, and who knew what the delivery, the supply chain was going to be like, do you think it was sort of due to lack of effort or, or just maybe just so much going on and so yeah. many distractions? There's a lot going on. I think that, um, you know, people weren't really sure how to plan the October prime day and the holiday season. And yeah. they're a little bit confusing for manufacturers. I think that 2021 is going to be a much, you know, different year in terms of that. I think that prime day moves back into the summer. We're actually hearing that's going to be like a different date, maybe earlier than the usual July date. Amazon's always, you know, interested in kind of surprising um, their competitors because everyone else piles in to create their own event. Uh, so they want to, you know, maybe have a little bit of a surprise factor um, so that people can plan less on the competitive side. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think for manufacturers, what we were hearing was that they were not really sure how to to do both Prime Day and holiday. And there was, you know, a little bit of a planning 
issue around that, but it'll, it'll be much better this year. I think everyone's supply chains are, are on track. What about, what did you guys see? Well, you know, one of the things I I've been noticing this year isn't what's happening on Amazon. It's what's happening off Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wonder what the impact that's going to have go forward. So the, you know, you mentioned the Amazon advertising continues to continues to accelerate um, I think in 2020, it's clear, at least a lot of that money came from money that would have been spent on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pe- people stopped si- signing up fronts um, in late Q1, Q2. They were able to move some of that you know, in a larger volume than usual over to digital, spread it across the key digital channels. Amazon benefited disproportionately there. Um, but we've also seen Walmart get their act together with a new ad program. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen Instacart launch a paid ad program. Mm-hmm. Um, Instacart acquired Drizzly, which gives them a whole a whole new new type of category they can they can they can go after. Uh, you know, the, with all the complexities of alcohol, it's it's not you can't really do the same model, but but there are ways. Um, we've and 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 so on and so forth. And so, I, I look at the retail media group from the from the other major retailers coming online in 2020, but not really early enough to have significant momentum in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. I, it, if, you're, if you're a big CPG, your next ad dollar might go to those programs first mm-hmm. in 2021 because there's less competition and it's early and, and the volumes are good um, versus going to Amazon. So, so that, that's one of the things I've been watching is, you know, if we look forward to 21, that 64% ad growth at Amazon is that going to is that going to face headwinds um, since the next marginal ad dollar doesn't so obviously go there in the same way that it did in 2020? Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of things on that. I mean, definitely in the grocery space, Instacart is a fierce competitor, and um, not surprisingly, it's a little bit like Amazon V2 over there with Seth um, Delaire as the CRO who formerly re- ran ads at Amazon, and then he's just building out a killer team. Ryan Mayward is amazing. And he just left Amazon to join um, Instacart to lead sales there. Um, The other thing that we have too is that, so we've just created a integrated retail media dashboard that integrates all the retailers into one place. You can see all the performance metrics. And when I look at, um, you know, performance on Amazon versus Instacart, I mean, Amazon's much more mature, but the CPCs are higher. And so Instacart has this first mover advantage where insane ROAS, like the performance is, is really good. Um, CPCs are low. It's the first mover advantage. Um, you know, we're seeing people really lean into Instacart and having a lot of excitement there. Um, you kind of pointed out alcohol industry. It's the alcohol has a really, they have really strict rules about advertising. And so they can advertise on Amazon or Walmart, but they can on, on Instacart in some regions. Yeah. And so um, when I look at CPCs, cost per clicks of alcohol brands are really high because there's not many op- opportunities for them to advertise. But that's a whole segment that they're able to um, advertise for the first time. And so, um, but just in general, I mean, they, uh, they also have some ideas around sharing data that I think is really interesting and brands are really interested in getting data. Uh, so I think that that Instacart is, they've got, you know, really great opportunities there and brands are going to have to be making these decisions and trade-offs as they move their dollars and look at retail media. Um, there's more and more platforms that are launching as well. Um, you know, there's Citrus, there's Critio, there's, you know, yeah. everyone basically is creating a self-serve ad platform 
And so that money is going to have to be distributed. And these are all, you know, new, like Instacart literally popped up in the middle of nowhere last year. And so they were able to grab dollars off a planning cycle. Um, but now they're, they're planning for it. So. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of, and I look at the, the big advertisers, the big CPGs um, and others, and it's on Instacart, not only is there a first mover advantage and the ROAS is really good, but also you're not competing with a bunch of upstarts. Like Instacart doesn't have that marketplace model where there's a, a thousand like little tiny companies that are mm-hmm. bidding up every single keyword. And so if you're, if you're on Instacart, you're really only competing with the other products that happen to be on the shelf. So it's, it's, you're competing all, all, on trade space in the same way that you would in the physical shelf. So it's possible that the ROAS is just better for long periods of time versus Amazon just due to, just due to competition. Um, so I don't I, I think that the point that you made there is the key one, which is that because the Walmart reboot, the Instacart launch, um, Target, and, you know, every, all of them went live within 2020, the, the big advertisers couldn't plan for them as part of their profile, as part, part mm-hmm. of their overall uh, market mix, mm-hmm. but they could for 21. And, uh, and I don't know that they'll move dollars from Amazon to those, to those sites, but they might move less dollars to Amazon mm-hmm. versus those other sites. So you might see a depression of, of Amazon growth relative to what they've done historically. And then once they, once they see the ROAS in 21, you know, 22, it's possible that you're actually playing a dollars trading game. Uh, so let, let's talk, let's talk about other, other things that jumped out in terms of the, the raw numbers. Um, how did they do in terms of just overall retail sales and, and uh, first party and third party? I think they had, they had a killer um, quarter. Uh, they had, um, you know, significant sales that they, they were able to achieve. They did have a lot of costs with COVID costs. Um, and they, they did talk about how third party marketplace does continue to grow. And a lot of the growth was from 3P. And I think that's also, um, that's something that I know Walmart's really focused on as well as growing the marketplace. Um, and then the other really interesting, this wasn't in earnings, obviously, but this whole aggregator market that's kind of popped up overnight with mm-hmm. the Thrasio and the perch and the, you know, buying and the, the Amazon sellers, you know, they're on page five and then growing them. Um, I think uh, Thrasio is like a $1.7 billion. They got $1.7 billion of funding or company or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's like insane. Uh, it's a $3 billion, you know, marketplace basically that, that popped up overnight. And to me, they're kind of the new resellers. Like Amazon used to have this reseller market where everyone was kind of reselling the same product. And those have like kind of dropped off and it's kind of being replaced by this aggregator market with these companies that are kind of aggregating um, all these sellers. And I, I heard a Jason and Scott show podcast with the Perch CEO and he kind of likened it to wanting to create like the next Procter and Gamble of all these brands. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of a really interesting new business model. And there's, there's like 40 of them. I mean, there's, there's so many of these companies that have popped up overnight and they're, they're heavily VC funded to go buy brands. Um, and I think Amazon has like a unique kind of hold on that marketplace because they really are Amazon sellers. Um, but the Perch CEO also talked about how 
he did have an interest in going, you know, into brick and mortar to expand these brands um, and to targets and things like that. So that's another whole kind of interesting area that is really an Amazon thing right now. Well, it, I, I don't know that it's gonna, just going to be an Amazon thing. So we had Carlos, the CEO founder um, from Thrasio on, oh, cool. on, on our podcast recently. And okay. first of um, all, an, an awesome guy. Like he yeah. was so great to talk to. Uh, I'll, I'll put the, the link to the, to that podcast episode in the show notes um, just cause it's definitely worth a listen. Um, he's a wonderful person. And I, sorry, Rob, I interrupted just cause it, it was so great to talk to him. He's just like an, an awesome human being, but also with the really uh, aggressive strategy. Yeah, they, the, so Thrasio is the biggest of these guys. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the one, one, I think it was $1.8 billion. But, you know, at, at that point, what's $100 million between friends? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just crazy, crazy dollars anyway. And so what, what he was saying is the origin of their, their business was they were looking to originally aggregate um, Shopify sellers. So people that were going direct to consumer. And just in experimentation, they realized that actually you can, you can scale a little more effectively with the Amazon marketplace sellers, um, especially if, you know, if you get these million dollar Amazon mom and pop businesses that are in the middle of Ohio that are page two, um, you can apply a bunch of best practices and get a nice pop on results. And if you do it enough times, eventually you'll get an anchor, you know, anchor went public two years ago. They're worth, you know, over $10 billion right now. And, um, and they were, they were an Amazon seller to begin with. And what, it, what, what Carlos was saying is that the, the, the key operational moat for them, like, you know, big picture is that they're going to be channel agnostic. So they're putting a lot of effort right now into, they've got, they've got 20,000 ASINs. And of those 20,000 ASINs, they've moved only less than a thousand over to walmart.com already. But mm-hmm. Um, and the Walmart volumes are lower, but you get a player as big as Thrasio with 20,000 ASINs and then you get Perch and you get the other guys and, and they start cross-listing and they start cross-listing effectively. Then all of a sudden walmart.com becomes a viable place to go for long tail stuff. Mm-hmm. And like they're not a viable place to go for long tail stuff. Their marketplace is just not vibrant, but you know, if, if it's seeded by these big aggregators like you're talking about, then it's possible that Amazon Marketplace actually gets competition. It's never had competition, mm-hmm. but it actually will get competition. And then the other things that they do is they invest in the direct-to-consumer strategy uh, with, a, with a Shopify angle, and then they invest in international expansion. And you go to Europe, um, Amazon is not dominant in Europe. And so what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll take advantage of the fragmentation of the European landscape, have really good distribution strategies within the key Europe, you know, European countries themselves, you know, sign all the trade agreements they need to and all this type of stuff. So you could take a million dollar mom and pop, you know, 3P seller, and then all of a sudden you're going omni in the US, you're going across marketplaces in the US, and you're going international. And um, in, on, in some level, it makes the Amazon marketplace less of the center of the universe, should they hit scale. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I look at those things, and I can't tell I can't tell if, I mean, in the short term, they're obviously good for Amazon Marketplace as a, as a vibrant community. Big picture, I can't tell if they're similar, similar to the ad spend conversation. I can't tell if they're uh, going to be competitive or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's a great kind of 
space to be watching right now, which which we have our our eyes watching them. We're actually working with several of them um, right now, uh, and so they're they're great groups to work with. A lot of former Amazonians <laughs> on mm. in some of these companies, and so um, lots of e-commerce experts that are growing these brands. Uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting. But you mentioned Shopify, which I think is also another interesting competitor and competitive threat to Amazon. Uh, totally. It, it seems like, and it, the interesting thing that Amazon just did uh, most recently, I think that they removed the name and address of uh, FBA sellers so that you can't access <laughs> Poach. It. So it seems like that move, like it's like, you, you know, that data is so critical to, to, to sellers that um, you know, might push them further into that Shopify D2C um, kind of framework. And then you see people like Adidas and Nike really going hard into their D2C sites saying, I think Adidas, or I can't remember who it was, but they said, um, uh, they, I think it was Adidas. Yeah. 50% yeah. of their sites going through direct to consumer. So that, that also is, is somewhat of a threat to the business model. And especially as Amazon looks at their sellers of, you know, really controlling the data, that's, that's going to be a challenge too. What do you think? It's, it's interesting to think about. I mean, the, it, on what, it's like almost comparing a horse to a buffalo or something. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're, it's totally different models and both probably have to exist. Mm -hmm. um, and like the, one of the wonderful things about uh, the internet is you can have YouTube and you can have TikTok and you could have Clubhouse and you could have podcasting, generally speaking. And they're all like so different and they all, but they all have a place. Right. And so it's hard. It, it, for me, it feels like brands going direct to consumer is a thing. It's obviously a thing, you know, Shopify did what a quarter of Amazon's total GMV, something like that. Um, in, in 2020, it's a big deal, but it's not really that it's not really competitive. Like you don't go to Amazon to interact with a brand. You go to Amazon to just like transact frictionlessly. Mm -hmm. um, versus, versus you go to a D2C site to interact with the brand. And like, I look at my own spending, my own spending is more heavily on the direct to consumer brands, but you know, only just, and it sort of varies month by month, depending on what's going on with my kids and whatnot. Um, and so I, I don't know that they're competitive. I just, I think the direct to consumer stuff is more, uh, is more competitive with just the generic brands that you get from a major big box retailer. I, th mm -hmm. I think it's just uh, the direct to consumer strategy represents more market fragmentation, more brand fragmentation, less power of, you know, big box retailers to sort of determine winners and, and be kingmakers and, and up and coming brands and challenger brands. That, that's more what I think it represents. Yeah, Rob, I, when you were mentioning kind of why people go to Amazon, there is a certain feel and maybe this is just my opinion, but the, the lowest common denominator experience, but very convenient. I can find what I need in one shop, but you know, it is convenience and, and sort of known quantity, but you look at something like what Target's doing with their new favorite day, you know, private label brand um, in grocery that's so experienced, so brand forward, which is Target's thing, right? But do you feel like that, the Amazon experience is going to have to step up in some way um, to get those higher margin dollars to really offer brands more rich experiences on their site. Um, 
to to start driving towards some of these these certainly to to drive their own private labor business, but also to to get some of these sort of higher margin and loyal consumers. Yeah, well, I mean, big, big picture, an a challenge for Amazon is that if you're Nike or you're Adidas, or you know, there, there's a there's a bunch of them like that that just decide to opt out of Amazon. Um, you know, if, if enough people opt out, if enough major brands opt out of Amazon, then, you know, like Amazon's not the everything store, right? Um, and, and so, I don't know, I, for me, there's this tension, like, I don't, I don't go, um, you know, if I'm thinking of buying jewelry for my wife, I don't think about Amazon. It's not where I, it's not where I go for like high-end purchases, right? Um, if I've, if I've got like a specific, a real specific brand that I'm loyal to, I'm not going to go to Amazon and buy their product unless their own website is, is out of stock there. Right. Um, but you know, most, most things are, I'm not like that. Most of my purchases are more transactional where I just kind of don't care which brand and I just want one, something that works. Yeah. And if I just like don't care about the brand and I want something that works for me anyway, for my purchase behavior, Amazon's fine. And I think where they interact is, and this is, this is, I mean, Melissa, you're, you're in the, in the ad space, you're in the discovery business. They, where they interact is a consumer that goes to Amazon that isn't sure what they want. And it's a chance for a brand to make a first impression and build that relationship. And ultimately every single brand in the world wants that, that shopper to go the next time to their own site, if at all possible. Is that, I mean, what do you think, Melissa? Is that, is that about right? Peter brought up a really good point around private label. And that's something that Amazon has not done. Target's done an amazing job yeah. at Jack, Cat and Jack. And um, the new one that they just launched, I mean, these are like amazing private label brands. Amazon's private label brands have not. Like, I think their battery brand's good, but they haven't done a good job. They even launched like a Kickstarter-like um, thing to see, to kind of crowdsource what products should they be creating, right? I don't know if you guys saw that. But <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. So they, it's like a clock or I don't, I can't remember the three things that you can vote on to see what's the next thing they should, they should create, but they haven't done well in private label. They haven't done well in fashion apparel. Obviously it's COVID because it's kind of hard to do well on that, but um, you know, athleisure is doing really well. They haven't done well with like this whole social kind of commerce um, aspect of it. So there's some things that they haven't done well at all. Um, they've done well in the fact that just whenever you want to go buy something, you go to the Amazon app and you hit toilet paper and you can, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for, unbranded terms, whatever you can get it. Um, and so that's where these Instacarts and Walmarts that are encroaching into that business model that, you know, I can go get Sony headphones at Amazon or Walmart and it's the same price. So what's, you know, where am I going to go? Um, maybe through time it's because Walmart has the color that I want, you know? So it's just, there's some threats there um, and some things they haven't innovated on, but right now they have like all this mind share and people going there. They do have, a lot of, you know, threats coming there. And then they've got, you know, the whole Amazon Prime video with streaming and Amazon movies. They got a lot of things going for them that um, will continue. And the other one too is, um, and I know I didn't totally didn't answer your question at all, but um, just talking about like their, their results and kind of their opportunities and their misses, but healthcare is another big one that I think is, um, I think they mentioned it in their results, but Amazon Care is their app that um, is amazing. You can hit, you know, talk to a doctor right away on the app and they come to your house and they give you a COVID shot. Like they, they have, 
you know, really great opportunities around some of these things to, to do beyond the retail business. That sounds exciting. I would be up for that at any moment. I still don't have my vaccine and my husband does, so that it's irritating me and that needs to be resolved. <laughs> I'll, I'll get the app. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually a user of PillPack, which is an Amazon, Amazon company. There, there is something interesting though. If you, if you look at, I mean, they, their, their earnings results are just shiny all over the place. And, um, but the earnings results of a lot of people are shining all over the place. And if you look at just e-commerce growth, starting from smaller numbers, but you know, folks like a Best Buy or a Target on a, on a percentage basis, really, really outperformed Amazon in, in 2020. Um, Shopify really outperformed Amazon in 2020. Um, from, a, from an ad growth perspective, Instacart absolutely crushed it. And so I'm starting to see like really legitimate competition in e-commerce in a way that just really that that we haven't seen in a few you know really I don't know the last five years I mean Amazon's just run away with it Who, who's been really competing with them uh, mm -hmm. but now now there seems to be viable competition and I I wonder how much of their continued growth at their scale for the core retail business you know leaving aside AWS right for the core retail business I wonder how much of it is dependent upon continuing to be a default. Just like, you know, you're, you're, you're a prime member, you just, the, the app's on your phone, maybe it's on the home screen. You just, you know, Walmart mm. fighting its way to that spot or Instacart fighting its way to that spot or Target fighting its way to that spot. I just wonder how much of, how much continued growth is based on that. Yeah. Well, the one thing I know is competition is good for innovation. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that Amazon's had a good spot for so long, but they are, they are amazing executors um, and they are really great at innovation too. Uh, and I think the pressure of the Instacarts, the Walmarts, you know, it, it's going to be good for consumers and it'll be good for these retailers to innovate. So we will, we will see the results will come in. And Melissa, to, cl to close, I, I, I feel like we do have to talk Instacart because the other day you forwarded me a LinkedIn post from e-commerce consultant Rick Watson, where he listed out the top management team at Instacart. And he said, does this look like a typical grocery business to you? Me neither. What they are building is one of the largest advertising and consumer data businesses online. What do you, do you agree? Um, and what does it mean to the brands who are doing business with them? And, and the retailers are trying to figure out the front of me situation with Instacart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, if you look at their executive leadership, I thought that post was was super insightful. But you know, as you know, this obviously Seth CRO came came from advertising background. Um, uh, you know, people from Google Ads, from Facebook Ads. So you know, not a lot of like grocery, you know, supply chain experience. And so, and they they do have this like huge vision around being, you know, collecting all this data and providing data back to the brands, which is really, really important to them for their businesses. So it, you know, they've got a really great strategy, uh, really interested to see what they do, but they do have quite a lot of advertising. And the other thing about Instacart is it's kind of expensive. Um, mm -hmm. And so those, you know, when people start going back to shopping regularly, like those costs are going to need to come down for people to keep using it. And what helps that is advertising revenue. And so that advertising revenue is going to need to grow and to be able to offset a lot of these costs that right now it is pretty expensive. Like I use it um, because it's super convenient, but it is a lot more expensive than I just, if I just went to Costco. 
Um, so I think that those costs will need to come down and can be offset greatly by advertising. And I think their CEO a couple weeks ago went, was publicly talking about the importance of the ad business to Instacart. So that, that is going to be a big strategy for them to, to grow profit. Maybe we should do a, man, I wish Instacart was public already so we could do an Instacart earnings call like this. Cause <laughs> I mean, the, you know, Instacart, Shopify, Amazon, I mean, they, they, they are, they're really interesting set of companies to watch. They're all so different and they matter so much. Um, well, I've, I've to, to bump up against each other. Yeah. Then I have to throw in a plug because um, we actually have uh, on March 18th at two at 12 PM Eastern, I'll be grilling Kiri Masters, friend of all of us, the founder of digital marketing agency, Bobsled Marketing. And she wrote a new book called Instacart for CMOs. And so she's actually coming on to talk about that. She has this view of them as a four-sided marketplace and what that means for brands. And the book is great. We, we, I got an early read of it. And, um, and I think uh, it's going to be a lot of great information for planning your 21 strategies uh, with, with Instacart. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Melissa, Thanks for coming back twice. Uh, you know, coming back again. That's that's a lot of courage yeah, on your I part. Number three. <laughs> I have. I feel like we need to. We need to keep doing this. So thank you so much for for a for just being such a great um, uh, contributor to just the discussion in the community. I think tonight we're recording this on a Thursday. I think you have your clubhouse. That's right. Um, event. So anyone on clubhouse on Thursday nights at. What time? Um, Four your time? seven Eastern, and we 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 have. Uh, I think tonight we have um, Brian Gildenberg, and um, I think Brian might be leading tonight's session. Well, by um, the time they hear this, uh, that will be well, over. No. But, but put it <laughs> but on your calendar and be there if you're at, at seven Eastern, four Pacific. We always have thought leadership um, on the clubhouse under Digital Underground. And I think I have still maybe a few clubhouse invitations. So if anyone out there wants one, uh, Peter at digitalshelfinstitute.org, maybe I can wrangle you something. Um, and Melissa, I think you should invite Rob on because that's the only way he will ever be on clubhouse. Nope, he might even uh, say no. Nope, nope. Peter, get off my lawn. <laughs> not, not doing those new social media things. Angry man, angry man. So Melissa, thank you so much. And, uh, and as always to our audience, thanks uh, to all of you for being part of our community. Thank you.